Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Rachel Casey and this is The Break, your sports snooker podcast. Coming up, we speak to Mark Selby, the first man into the semi-finals of the Betfred World Snooker Championship. We focus on Selby and Kyron Wilson, who is also through, and Judd Trump, who is heading home. The crucible curse strikes again. We discuss Ronnie O'Sullivan's comments about the standard of snooker's younger players, and we chat about the magic of the one-table setup at the crucible. I'm joined by the spaceman, Dominic Dale. And Phil Yates, do you have a nickname, Phil? No. Where did the spaceman come from? Do you know, nobody really knows, but I don't like it because it belies my superior intellects, but um, it comes from somewhere. Who knows? I think Space. Deep, deep down we all know. <laughs> you guys have just finished your final commentary session of the World Championship, Phil. The highlight for you, what match was the, the best that you commentated on? Well, I think the last one was right up there, the defending champion, Judd Trump, going out. I think in terms of drama, though, I have to say, Jamie Clark against Anthony McGill. In terms of quality, it was without question, without debate, the worst of the last 16. But the driver at the end, Clark missing that pink, he will regret for the rest of his life. And then eventually McGill winning 13-12. That was the the highest drama match. Yeah, and it was definitely spicy all the way through, wasn't it? What about yourself, Dominic, your highlight? Oh, it's that match because I, I commentated on the whole of that final session. It went on till about five past midnight and the drama, you know, the mistakes from Jamie Clark that allowed Anthony McGill to win that match in the end. Listen, I mean, it must have taken hours for Anthony McGill to get to sleep that morning, but it did for me as well. I got back to the hotel, took a glass of wine to bed. I couldn't wind down from it. I felt all the emotions of that match. It was fantastic. Mark Selby was quite an easy winner against Neil Robertson. He's the first man through to the semi-finals, his sixth semi-final. And it's just like being at home for him now, isn't it? Obviously, since he won, he's not been to the one-table setup. So an amazing achievement for him. It is. What's amazing to me is that people are saying this season for Selby has been a slump. He's won the English Open part of the home nations. Then he completed the the double by winning the Scottish Open. And now he's in the semi-final here. 
he looked very comfortable. I was at a Johnny-come-lately onto that match because I only did the final session. Dominic did the whole thing, and I know he was very impressed. Now, Dominic has got a great tactical brain when it comes to snooker. His acumen in that regard is really high. And so for Dominic to be impressed, that told you a lot. Well, yeah, I did I commentate on the whole match, and it was a masterclass from Mark Selby because he completely strangled... Neil Robertson to death. You know, Neil Robertson tried to impose his style of play, his potting and break building on that match. But Mark Selby's tactical play was so good. And when do you see Neil Robertson having, playing in a match of best of 25 with an average shot time of over 30 seconds? That, you know, he was so oh, sagacious the whole, whole match long, really, Neil Robertson. He just couldn't play his normal flowing attacking style of play. Hasn't Selby done that to some of the very, very best players this game has ever seen in the past? He has, absolutely. But the great thing about Selby is this. Yes, he can be really defensive. Yes, he's got the patience of Job. But he can also score and pot well. His potting from distance in that match was tremendous. So... His greatest asset is versatility. Well, delighted to have Mark Selby joining us on the break. Mark, welcome and congratulations. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you very much. What the hell has happened to you? You went from zero to hero. That match against Jordan Brown looked evil for both of you. Yeah, I mean, the first round's always difficult, you know, playing at the Crucible, whether you got fans or not. So, uh just to try and get that first match out of the way is always a little bit nerve-wracking. I think it showed in both of our performances. Did you feel like you came into the tournament as an underdog this time round? Yeah, I think so, especially on present form as well, because my form of late has not been not been fantastic. I mean, when you look at people like Judd going into the World Championships, he won six tournaments this year. So my form was a little bit inconsistent. So I didn't really know what to expect, but I'd been working hard leading up to the tournament. Do you care if you're an underdog or do you care what anyone says? No, not at all. If anything, it's a little bit less pressure on you if they're not speaking about you and you can just go about your business in your own way. So the thing is for me, as long as I put the hard work in and I feel good in myself and my game, then I know I have every chance. Now you're one of the favourites to win it. How does that sit with you? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's still a lot of class players left in it running Williams, who I'll play the winner of them, whichever way that goes tonight. Obviously, Kyron's a great player, just not out Trump. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I've been mentioned as favourites before in other tournaments so I mean it's just how it is in my eyes now the standard's so tough I don't really see anyone as favourite whoever plays best on the day seems to win We've chatted a a fair bit in in the past usually swanning around venues with coffees that you (laughs) you usually end up paying for but you know you've you've chatted a little bit about you know the confidence that that just wasn't there the confidence that you used to have why why was that you know were you getting bogged down on, on things that maybe you shouldn't have no, I think just because I wasn't really winning or getting to the backstage of tournaments like I was doing before. So my confidence was a little bit low and then I was sort of doubting myself a little bit, thinking, will I ever get back up there because of the way I was playing? Wasn't really competing at the top level, losing to players that I think I probably shouldn't have lost to at the time. So I think a lot of things like that. And then obviously, once you're low on confidence, you start looking for other things, which probably there is nothing wrong. You're probably just going for a bad patch. But uh, And when you're low on confidence, to, when you're low on confidence, Mark, um, do you feel yeah. that it kind of the enjoyment is, is really loses you? You, you know, you, you don't really get the same buzz or the, the highs and all of that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I was still practicing as hard because I was trying to find my game. But uh, when I was going to tournaments, obviously, like losing the competitive side, I mean, practice, as long as you're putting in the hard work, that's all you can do. But when you go to tournaments, to keep losing all the while obviously wasn't nice. And that was sort of losing the enjoyment of not being at the back end of tournaments, having 
a lot of success in the past, obviously having great expectations of myself as well and not really achieving them for the last 18 months uh, was, was a, li- a little bit disappointing. How do you cope with the disappointment? Like, do you go home like you're like a demon or, you know, it's, it's, very, <laughs> it's very tough, you know, winning is great, but losing is, it's, it's rotten. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not too bad. I mean, I have a little, little wind for a couple of days and then I'll sort of, I'm sort of over it. But, uh, I think in a way it needs to affect you because if, if, if you do lose and you just like shrug it off as if think that's it and stuff, and then I don't think it hurts you enough and you probably don't want it enough. So I think it needs to affect you a little bit. Well, Chris Henry, your your new coach, he said that uh, he's got a job of rewiring your mind. Now, we're not talking yeah. ju- jump leads <laughs> or anything. <laughs> no, hope not. <laughs> but um, how how has it helped working with Chris so far? What what have you guys been doing? Yeah, I mean, he's just sort of been getting me to watch like a lot of videos back of myself when I was like feeling in, in a good place and feeling confident and trying to like look at my body language and stuff that way. And just gave me a lot of things just to, to work on and, and think about, obviously, different routines with the mind and stuff. Because as good as I was mentally a few years ago, I've sort of lacked that the last 18 months to two years and probably gone, sort of lost my way a little bit. So I didn't really know how to get out of the hole I felt I was in. So the only way I could I could do it was to go and see someone who obviously knew stuff about the mind and obviously knew what I was going through when I explained it to him. And so Chris seemed to tick the boxes for that. And when you talk about the, the good times that you're reliving, are we talking English Opens or Scottish Opens? Or are we talking everything at the Crucible? Yeah, I mean, the English Open, I mean, I played great against Gilbert in the final, but up until then I felt I was still like in and out of form. Scottish was a little bit like that. But I mean, obviously winning's still great. You ain't going to play fantastic all the while. But I still wasn't 100% happy with my game even then. Uh, a couple of years ago, obviously, when I was competing, getting to the major finals was obviously good. And I felt as though that's where I wanted my game to try and get back to. So... And I was working hard enough. It's not as if I wasn't putting the hard work in and it wasn't through not practising that I was struggling. So I knew there was something wrong. And it's kind of, it's amazing actually how, how quickly people's opinions can change. And I know you're on social media a little bit and, you know, that that long frame kind of, it, it made everyone think that you're a slow player. And, you know, a lot of people saying that, you know, <laughs> maybe just like a little bit boring and, and all of that. But, you know, I think people are quick to forget that you are an exceptional break builder, you know, three times a world champion. What aspect of your game were you really looking to rediscover? Yeah, just sort of the definitely the enjoyment side of it again and just trying to just play and, and just get a little bit more momentum and a little bit more flow to my game by playing a little bit quicker. And I think... In the past, obviously, I've sort of bogged myself down by slowing myself down when I'm not 100% confident and I'm doubting myself a little bit. I seem to overthink a lot of stuff. So I've been trying to, and even with Chris, he's been working on just trying to, if you if you see the shot and you know it's the right shot, just get down and play it. Don't take any longer than what you need to. So mm. that's the strategy I've been trying to look at. And it seems to be working at the moment, especially since round one. Yeah, definitely since round one. <laughs> You've, uh, you're like a new man, Mark. <laughs> a man possessed <laughs> listen it'd be amazing to to win it um it's you know obviously you've tasted success three times a champion um the loss of of willie thorne leaves a huge hole in the hearts of those involved at sheffield this year and this applies to, to you i'm sure as well mark yeah definitely i mean obviously it's, it's a sad time you know obviously when i heard about it i mean willie was a, a massive part of my life growing up Obviously, I didn't see him as much the last few years because he wasn't doing too many tournaments. But he was there in 2014, coming into my dressing room, the first time I won the World Championships. And I still remember him now at the end of the table crying when I was picking up the trophy. So you never forget memories like that. So 
with what's happened this year. And like you say, it's a big loss to the snooker family. It'd be nice if I did win it. I could probably like use it as a tribute to, to in his memory. A ma- massive um, thing, wouldn't it be? And, and for Leicester and, you know, to be a, a four-time champion. And, and, and who knows, maybe this one could be for, for Willie Thorne. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I'm still in the tournament, so I've got a chance, but you're only halfway through when you get to the semi-finals stage. You've still got a potential best of 33 and a best of 35. So there's still a long way to go, but I'm going to be one of four players left in the tournament still, so I've got a chance. Awesome stuff. Uh, just very quickly, on, on, I know we had a little chat about, you know, how we are after lockdown and stuff. Did you feel that it gave you a lot of time to kind of take stock on things? Yeah, a little bit. It definitely gave me a lot of time to review on what I needed to do with my game and stuff, uh, where if we didn't have the lockdown, the tournaments would have been coming thick and fast and you'd have been playing tournament after tournament and probably not have time to to get involved in that. But also in a way as well, it wasn't too, I, I didn't find it too bad. I mean, obviously I'd rather circumstances be different, but it was quite nice to to have quite a bit of time at home because we travel so much around the world and don't really see much of Vicky and Sophia. So it was quite nice to to spend a bit of time at home just relaxing really and doing a bit of homeschooling. <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to go there. But listen, your, sec- <laughs> your second home is the one table set up at the Crucible and that's uh, certainly, Mark, where you belong. I wish you the very best of luck and thanks so much for joining us on the break. Thank you, Rachel. Good to speak to you. As as pundits, um, you guys maybe sometimes, uh, I know we had a little bit of a chat earlier in an earlier episode of, of the break and uh, maybe a little bit hard on, on Mark, but if you watch the match against Jordan Brown, goodness. Yeah, two different players. I mean, I watched a lot of the match with Jordan Brown and Mark Selby was playing not, not to lose, really, and he looked frightened to death in certain areas of that match. Against Neil Robertson, well, he, he looked like a player that wasn't going to lose. He, he was fantastic. For me... You're looking at the new winner of this event. Okay, it's been said first here on the break. What do you think at this stage? He's one of the favourites. He he might just be favourite. Well, he's going to have tremendously difficult opposition in the semi-finals. I personally think I fancy Karen Wilson, but I also believe that you cannot discount Selby at all. Going for his fourth title, he knows what to do. He's been there, done that. Course and distance winner. Why not? Well, the crucible curse is alive and kicking, I heard you say in commentary. And it definitely raised its ugly head once again because we saw Kyron Wilson beat Judd Trump, the defending champion, who he said he felt good, not disappointed with with how he played. For me, since lockdown, Judd Trump hasn't quite produced the form that he's capable of. And he has one of these attacking styles of play and styles a snooker that if he's not near his best, he just gives a lot of opportunities to his opponents. And I think that's what's happened there. He's come up against a Kyron Wilson who stuck to his task, stuck to his technique, his game plan, and everything worked. He was a really solid performer throughout the whole match, and he just made it so hard for Judd, who just couldn't quite play his best throughout the whole match to get back into it. Yeah, he was sound, um, gracious in defeat there. Um, absolutely, we'll, we'll hear from both players in, in a tick. Uh, but, I mean, it's always sad to see the defending champion and that dreaded curse. Absolutely. It's a, a very catchy little phrase, isn't it? The crucible curse. I tend to think it's the crucible coincidence more than that. What we must say is that players, yes, they have defended the title in Sheffield, but not when they've been a first-time champion coming back. No one's managed to do it, and it continues on. Judd Trump, midway through the season, I thought he'd got a great chance of finally putting the curse to bed. But I think Dominic's right. 
He won the Gibraltar Open, beating Kyron Wilson in the final and played beautifully to do so. That was his record-breaking sixth world ranking title. Number seven for me, maybe even number eight if he'd won the Tour Championship, was a distinct possibility. But then he was interrupted. The flow was interrupted. Momentum was lost. And whatever he says, I think that had a, an effect. He didn't play as well here as he did last year, nowhere near. Having said that, he should have no regrets whatsoever. And regardless of lifts the trophy on Sunday night... Trump is the player of the season, hands down. Well, he's been unbelievable, hasn't he? As Phil said, six ranking titles, record ranking titles, and he's been pretty much the favourite for every single tournament he's played in. The momentum was definitely halted. Yes, I think so. You know, during this lockdown period, everybody's had two or three months off the game. And Judd had a lot of momentum. As Phil said, he'd won the Gibraltar Open. Had the season continued afterwards, he might have been playing absolutely fantastic snooker and certainly been the player to beat during this year's World Championships. But we've all had that sort of three-month period where we couldn't even practice, had to socially distance. And... You know, I and think then a lot of people will say, well, hold on, it was the same for, for many players. Yeah, but, you know, some players have used it to their advantage. Some people have lost weight and got fit and, and et cetera, et cetera. But Judd, you know, he is the player of the season. There's no doubt about that. Six world ranking events. I know Hendry won five. There were a lot less tournaments back then, so that mustn't be discounted, discounted as a terrific achievement anyway. But it's just since the lockdown, there haven't been that many tournaments and Judd, Judd just hasn't quite found his A game. But, you know, look out next season because, listen, Judd Trump hates losing. He'll be back. Oh, I know he hates losing. But uh, many congrats to Judd Trump on yeah. a, a wonderful historic season for him. And well done to Kyron Wilson, of course, is into the semi-final. We can hear from both players, starting with Judd Trump. Tough to lose, but I'm glad I, I went out in the way I did. I went out fighting, didn't play bad. I, I played pretty well out there, felt good in practice. So it took um, a real good performance to beat me. When I sit down reflecting a week or two, I've had an amazing season. Disappointed, obviously, not to be the first person to retain the, the crown, but I went out fighting, did my best, just wasn't quite to be this year. A lot of respect. He's really changed as a person. Um, you know, even there, when I've, when I've beaten Judd, he's turned around and said, good luck, mate, I hope you win it. And, um, you know, that's, that takes some real class to do that, especially with what was sort of hanging over his head for that match. So, um, yeah, every credit for what he's achieved this year. Um, he's taken a sort of a giant step forward from, from how I've played him before. So, I mean, he's going to need to run the ball. Everyone needs to run the ball to win the tournament. But if he gets it and continues to pot like that, he'll be really dangerous. I know you're a massive fan of, of Kyron Wilson. You think he's got all the tools in the bag to, to be maybe a player that can go on and win the tournament now. You must have been really impressed with him, Phil. And the tools in the head. That's the main thing. Over the years, I've seen so many talented players who can't cope with pressure, who can't cope with a big occasion. Kyron Wilson is top of the list when it comes to self-belief. He reminds me so much of a player he used to practice with an awful lot. The 2002 world champion, Peter Ebden, unshakable self-belief. And when you get to the crucible, that's a, a wonderful commodity. Can you go all the way, Dominic? Yes, I concur with what Phil was saying. For me, Kyle Wilson has a terrific amount of self-esteem. He belongs up there with the game's elite and that's how he regards himself. And he's, he's one of the game's elite now. And yes, I can see him getting to the final. Who he'll play there, we don't know. But... Um, the only criticism I have of Kyron, and to be honest, I haven't really seen it yet. I've always thought he plays his long pots with too much power, but he doesn't seem to have done that in the match I've seen uh, with him, um, commentating on his match with Judd Trump. So, I, I mean, I, I've got a high regard for Kyron Wilson. He does everything right. He's technically superb. He's mentally superb. And those are key ingredients to perform well here. 
I agree completely with you, Phil, on the tools in the head because he's such a tough nut to crack. When things are not going his way, he'll always just face it head on. And uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely a big player. Of course, he's a big player, along with Mark Selby, who are both in to the uh, semi-final and two big, big favourites, uh, of course. Now, you can check out eurosport.co.uk for all the details on the quarterfinals that finish later on Tuesday. Now, we've been chatting about a lot of uh, the, the action on the table. What about off the table? Because after Ronnie O'Sullivan made the quarterfinal, he was asked if he was surprised to be still at this level after well over 25 years at the top of the game. He told Rob Walker, if you ask me then, then no. But if you look at the standard of play, then I'd say yes. For people like me and John and Mark, if you look at the younger players coming through, they're not that good, really. <laughs> Most of them... They'd probably do well as mm, half-decent amateurs, not even amateurs. They're so bad. A lot of them you see now, you think, I'd probably have to lose an arm and a leg to fall outside the top 50. So that's really why we're still hovering around, because of just how poor it is. Some people were disappointed with what Ronnie said. There were others out there that just found it absolutely hilarious. However, there were a lot of people that agreed with the rocket. Dominic, what do you think? It's true, when I turned pro the same year as Ronnie and Mark Williams, John Higgins, in 1992, there were so many of us that were top amateurs at the time coming through the professional ranks. Not just, you know, those guys, but you had people, you know, Matthew Stevens, Stephen Lee, John Higgins, myself, Mark Williams, all of these guys. We were sort of top amateur players. And, I mean, take myself, yes, I mean, I've won a couple of majors, but I haven't done anything in the game compared to those guys. But there's nobody coming through the British ranks now, for me, that, that I can say, well, yeah, he's going to be a fantastic player. Nobody yet that, that holds a, a candle, really, in my opinion, to, to those guys I've mentioned. And things have changed. I don't know whether there's, there's the same amount of players playing in snooker clubs, learning the game, that, than there was back then. Because we had an amateur game before the game went open that was second to none. There were hundreds of amateur players that were much better than a lot of the bottom-ranked pros and they all turn pro and a lot of us have had good careers but it's not like that now it's all changed and uh, I don't see it going back to those days in the foreseeable future I don't see anybody coming through there's a young kid up north um, in the Liverpool area Sean Maddox I I rate him highly he really practices assiduously he could come through but who else is coming through? I don't know of many players that I can see winning tournaments. What Ronnie's comments, and I think to kind of turn them into a big, big positive, is you know that it will question the grassroots of snooker, maybe, and also how do we you know nourish the talent and, and make it flourish? You know of what we have incentive, and that's what Barry Hearn is providing. So many big tournaments, five hundred thousand pounds for the winner here. £500,000 for the winner in Saudi Arabia in 2021. So financially, people will want to come into snooker. The well, only problem... What about a young lad down, down the road, down the, you know, wants to get into a snooker club and, and he's not going to be playing in Saudi Arabia? What comes before we get to those tournaments? Well, it gets them into clubs, doesn't it? The dream of what they can achieve. But the problem is, it's not an overnight process. It takes a while for these people to come through and to get to the top of the game. What we need in snooker badly is an infusion of different new young talent. Now, Ronnie O'Sullivan, he makes headlines much more easily than he makes friends with his comments. He would not be working for the diplomatic corps anytime soon. But having said that, it is beyond dispute that the number of players coming through in the 90s, the number of 
top players coming through in the 90s far outweighs the number of top players from the young ranks coming through these days. We've just been talking about Karen Wilson. He's considered to be the new kid on the block in many respects. He's 29, 28 at the moment, 29 coming up. Now, Stephen Hendry at that age had dominated the game for a decade. Well, it's absolutely true, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously in China, it's a different thing. I mean, I don't know how many Chinese players there are on the snooker tour, but it must be in the 20s. And I'm very surprised that some of them haven't come through to to, um, challenge the supremacy of Ding Junhui. You see, I've got got a feeling um, that we might wait another 20, 30, we could be 40 years before we'll see a player like Ronnie O'Sullivan, you know, the mould of a John Higgins, it just doesn't come around every day. And, you know, the amount of talent we see emerging from from China, you know, maybe there isn't the next Ronnie O'Sullivan there. Maybe we'll have to wait another couple of decades. And I think... For me, the class of 92, long may they live because we might not be watching Ronnie O'Sullivan in, in world championships in, in the next couple of seasons t- t- and enjoying him as long as we can. You're right. I just hope, I don't hope with any great expectation, but I hope we have that infusion of new talent. But where it's coming from, it's hard to say. But who's likely to dominate now? I mean, the strength and depth in the game now is just so profound. I mean, that you're not. It's very hard to see multi, multi rank event winners these days. If you go back to Stephen Hendry, Steve Davis era, you, you, you know, especially in Steve's, there were just two or three players that really could challenge him. The rest of them were sort of also runs, really, by comparison. And in the Stephen Hendry era, yes, there were more players to challenge his supremacy, but. Again, not that many. Now, there are so many players that are capable of winning ranking events. Those days of that massive dominance of the days of Stephen Hendry and Steve Davis are, are disappearing fast. Well, we've been talking about, you know, Judd Trump will be the, the, the man to be dominating for the next few years. And I think after we spoke about that golden season of 2019-2020, he could very well be the man to do so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the other thing is there are so many tournaments now, so many playing opportunities. I mean, if you look at Judd Trump, he's won six tournaments. Uh, I mean, there's so many tournaments to play in. You've got to be careful. If you keep winning all these tournaments, you will be burnt out come the big one, the World Championships. And that's another thing to think about as well for some of the players. Thank you, guys, for your comments on that. And I think it's fair to say, I mean, we all love Ronnie. Whatever he says, you know, you might agree or disagree. At least he gets us all talking. What I want from players and I want from commentators is an opinion. Now, whether it's the same opinion as myself, I don't really mind as long as they've got a firm opinion and they articulate it. Ronnie O'Sullivan for the game is absolutely tremendous. He really is. He makes headlines and as they say in America about Tiger Woods, he moves the needle. Steve Davis has said uh, the one table set up is where the crucible theatre really does show its true colours. Let's move on to the the magic of the one table set up at the crucible. If you make it uh, through to when the dividing wall disappears in the middle of the arena, it's a milestone in itself. It absolutely is for every player that have ever played at that uh, stage in, in the tournament. It's, it's mega. Yeah, it's a fantastic atmosphere in the Crucible anyway. You know, you so watch the crowd are right on top of you. But when you get down to one table situation, you really are centre of attention there. And there's more room around. The players have their own seats at either side of the table. And it's, you know, you're the centre of attention. You're the main focus. The, the cameras are all on you. There isn't another match to watch. And it's a fantastic atmosphere. I've witnessed it many times. Willie Thorne, who passed away recently, I was chatting with him on one occasion 
just privately, maybe I think it was after a match in a, a matchroom league one Thursday night in some leisure centre somewhere. And I said, Willie, what was your, your greatest regret in your career? He said, never getting to the one table set up at the Crucible. He got to the quarterfinal, couldn't quite clear that hurdle. When Stuart Bingham got there in 2015, he actually broke down in tears after winning in the quarterfinal. It meant so much to him. Have you ever been there, Dominic? I've been a frame away. Um, I lost 13-12 to Barry Hawkins about five, five years ago or so. Um, so. But I've been there drawing, you know, the semi-finals and finals before over the years, and I've witnessed it, you know, and it's, it's just fantastic. The audience, oh, it brings goose pimples to you. Listen, forget the audience this year, but I think um, it's daunting for a qualifier or a debutante or any player that has never experienced the one table setup. I remember John Higgins, I think it was Kyron Wilson or might have even have been, I think it was the pair of them actually, Dave Gilbert, they played the one table setup. And he said, well, I think, you know, they'll, they'll know what it's all about when they get out there. And, you know, it's, it, I think the benefit of actually having that experience, it's massive. Very much so, yeah. And of course, either Anthony McGill or Kurt Mafflin, that will be completely new territory for them. One thing about the one-table setup, where the two chairs are, there's no problem social distancing. They're miles apart. And Jay, uh, John Pirate said that as well. He couldn't believe, you know, like he could almost like swan around in all this space. And it just is so claustrophobic for the first few rounds, isn't it? It is. And, you know, hopefully next year we'll have a full audience attendance. And I hope people like Jamie Clark get to experience that because, honestly, when you're actually playing in the Crucible and you've got a big capacity house and you've got that drama of, let's say, the match he had with Anthony McGill, the atmosphere would be absolutely unforgettable. And I'm hoping he'll have the chance to experience that because that was just a shame that there wasn't a big crowd watching that match. It was fantastic. And for all five debutants, I think, as well, it's, yeah. it's fair to say. What's the best thing you've ever seen in a semi-final at the Crucible now that we're at this stage? So many great semi-finals over the years, so many anticlimactic semi-finals as well, in fairness. My personal favourite, I think, was when Ronnie O'Sullivan told Stephen Hendry very ill-advisedly to go back to his sad little life, and they had that argument before their semi-final, and Hendry came out. He was snorting fire. He was really shocked about it as well, though. He just could not believe it. Wasn't Ronnie hanging out with some boxer that kind of... He was, and basically he was told to sort of ramp it up, and he just did. There was no justification for his comments whatsoever. And so he riled Hendry. He woke, well, not a sleeping giant, a dominant giant, and Hendry came into that match with greater motivation than I think I've ever seen him have. And, of course, he won the match, played brilliantly in the last session. And then, I suppose it was anti-climax, using that word again, when he played Peter Ebden in the final. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there have been some great semi-finals. I remember one, I think Peter Ebden beat Matthew Stevens in the semi-final. I don't know which year it is. You'll probably know, Phil. But there were so many 50-plus breaks in that match. It was absolutely fantastic. And it's just one that stuck in my mind, obviously, representing Wales and knowing Matthew so well. I just, you know, I remember watching it. It was incredible, that match. And obviously some, some pretty bad things happened in, in semi-finals as well. At the Crucible, um, I think we go back to, to Paul Hunter and Ken Darty. I think that was a great shame. Listen, I love Ken. Oh, yeah. You know, probably watching Ken Darty in the 90s is what got me into snooker. But, you know, the fact that he came back and, you know, the late Paul Hunter, he, he could very well have been a world champion. The fact that he died three years later. I remember that session, I can't remember what frame it was, but he missed a yellow and you just knew that things weren't going well for him. Of course, at the time, we thought, you can never say anyone's guaranteed to win the World Championship. That's demeaning to the achievement, but we thought he got a great chance going down the line and then things happened and real life intruded 
and it was very sad when he passed away. But what a great comeback it was from Ken. It wasn't brilliant snook, you know, in that last session. It was more to do with the fact that he won a lot of scrappy frames and Hunter got under it, very nervous, and in the end, Ken came through. I was really pleased for Ken, though. I would love to have seen Paul Hunter win the World Championships, you know, but I remember his interview afterwards. He was so philosophical, and that was instilled in, into him at a young age, not only by his father, Alan, but by Joe Johnson, who helps him a lot in his younger days. And, yeah, he's just... It, with Paul, you could never tell whether he's winning or losing a match by his demeanour. He's you know, completely undemonstrative when he sat in his chair. That was a classic match, wasn't it? I think he was 15-9 behind Ken, wasn't he? Yeah, amazing comeback um, and, and a great shame that we didn't see uh, the late uh, Paul Hunter lift this uh, famous trophy. We were talking about Ken Doherty and, and, and comebacks and, you know, uh, everything he's brought to the, the Crucible and to snooker. Uh, he even came out to the Irish Rover. I mean, the fans going crazy. And Mark Williams' wife, uh, Joanne, tweeted a video of Mark singing It's All About You by McFly during practice. Uh, made me think about the best music to practice to and the best snooker walk-on music as well. I'll start with you, Dominic, because goodness knows I'd say you've come out to all sorts of tracks in your time. The best walk-on music. I like Rob Milkins's um, Cider Drinker by the... Who is it? The Wurzels, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, that's just typical Rob Milkins. He's that sort of guy, loves a pub, he loves a few drinks, and that's just made for him. I like... Um, I quite I like Mark Williams's Delilah, Tom Jones. Um, I, I used to come on to Mario Lanza's La Donna Mobile. But now I think my walk on music is um, The Spaceman. I'm the Urban Spaceman by the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Did you choose that yourself? Yes, of course I did. <laughs> so, uh, of course you did, is right. <laughs> and you know, uh, Mark Williams, when he does come out to Delight, he actually walks in complete tandem with the music, doesn't he? It suits him perfectly. Well, I love that because I've seen Tom Jones twice in Las Vegas and I'll tell you what, it's a fantastic show. And he knows Tom personally. He does, yeah. Mark Williams, so that's appropriate. My favourite walk-on music, historically, it was at Preston Guildhall, the UK Championship final. Steve Davis, Stephen Hendry, they both came down different stairs to an absolutely packed arena to simply the best. Couldn't have been more appropriate. Yeah, that sort of pop music doesn't appeal to me much, really, but there you go. This charming man uh, by the Smiths, Anthony McGill, I think that's brilliant. Great tune, but you'd never really expect it to be typical of snooker. And, you know, I love Anthony, great guy, but he doesn't come out all smiles, does he? No, I'll tell you whose walk-on music I do like, Dings and Wheeze. And I liked his earlier, he used to walk on to Poker Face by Lady Gaga. I, I like that too. But, yeah, it's, it's more, I don't know what it is that he walks on to these days, but I like it. It's got a real presence to it when he walks on it's like someone special's walking out there that you don't mess about with I like that it's quite interesting the difference in um, McFly and then Delilah uh, the practice and then the the reality yeah well in answer to your question about the best music to practice to I would say none absolutely you do not practice to music how can you practice properly and have music on you can't this podcast has got very serious all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Two old fuddy-duddies, oh. Rachel. <laughs> and um, thank you for your commentary as well. Excellent, both of you. Well, it's been a real break to be invited to do this podcast. Boom, and boom. Well done, Rachel. Yes, indeed. Well done, Rachel. I've thoroughly enjoyed all of these podcasts. And hey, you out there, if you download all these podcasts, keep it going. <laughs> 
You're so kind. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Break. Please subscribe, rate and review the podcast like champions and watch the live snooker from The Crucible on Eurosport and eurosport.co.uk. We'll be back with more in a couple of days' time. But until then, from Phil, Dominic and myself, it's goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.